and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. Today we're going to plunge into the bluest part of Pennsylvania, Center City, Philadelphia. This fall, Democrats will be victorious statewide if they have enthusiastic Philadelphians with high voter turnout citywide, especially in Center City. The longtime nationally known state representative, Brian Sims, is retiring. He's running for lieutenant governor. This frees up the statehouse seat in the most progressive district of 203 districts across PA. We're going to sit down with Ben Waxman, who hopes to become the next state representative. As he goes door to door, Ben's going to give us a good sense, real in-depth of what's on the minds of voters and overall enthusiasm level of Democrats in Center City. Hey, Ben Waxman, welcome to my kitchen table. Hi, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Good to be here. So Ben, Center City, Philadelphia, I feel like people from all over the world are familiar with it, but uh, you're getting intimately familiar with it running for state house. Maybe you can share with uh, listeners outside of Philadelphia. We have thousands of listeners. Not all of them are... Uh, I'd like to think many of them have been to Philadelphia. Not all of them maybe have. Tell folks a little about the uh, about the district. I've lived in the district now for, I think I moved into the district from West Philly. I moved in 2009 or 2008, you know, into, into Center City. And I have lived in the district since then. And, you know, the 182nd, which up until very recently was represented by Brian Sims for the past 10 years, it is a lot of Center City West, so right downtown, uh, Center City, Philadelphia. If you come on business or you come to visit, you, you know, a lot of the tourist attractions, things like that, you're going to wind up at some point in Center City in the 182nd. I mean, the City Hall is located in the 182nd uh, to give people a sense of, of a geographical sort of, uh, you know, just a, a familiar landmark. We also have a couple of other neighborhoods that are right adjacent to Center City, including Bella Vista and Queen Village, which is really like South Philadelphia, immediately, you know, south of Center City, east of Broad. And we also have a neighborhood called Graduate Hospital, which which is uh, the 30th Ward, um, which is sort of southwest Center City. But all of the neighborhoods are within a short walking distance of each other. It's probably one of the most compact districts in the entire Commonwealth because we really have a lot of unique characteristics of the district that are different from other places in the state, especially because it's all high rises. We have, you know, you can't, you can knock on some doors, but you have the majority of the population are living in high rise skyscrapers, you know, or apartment buildings. So it also, you know, politically, it is by far probably the most liberal district in the entire state to give you a sense of uh, just the demographics and who lives down here. It's probably one of the most heavily Jewish districts in the entire state of Pennsylvania, maybe out in Squirrel Hill, out in Pittsburgh, might be a more heavily Jewish district, but maybe not. It's probably one of the only districts where there's a, a either a plurality or a majority of Jewish voters, which includes myself <laughs> um, and my family uh, and our synagogue is in the district. So anyway, that's sort of the district. And um, if you look at its past, not only with Brian Sims, so obviously one of the most well-known 
you know, liberal lawmakers in the state, probably known for being quite a firebrand. But then also prior to that, Bebe Joseph, who was one of the first women elected to the legislature, one of the first women to hold a committee chairmanship as a member of the House and certainly just a well-known progressive advocate. She passed away earlier this year. But Babette held the seat for 30 years. And I think that both Babette and Brian Sims are very reflective of the type of district it is and the type of values that you're going to find among the voters here. Okay, that's a lot of great stuff to unpackage, uh, uh, Ben. So just take a step back uh, for listeners uh, who might not be from Pennsylvania. So there's 203 Statehouse uh, uh, members. This is an open seat. Brian Sims, who you referenced, is running for lieutenant governor. That's right. He's retired. He did not file to run for re-election. Exactly. Exactly. And there's roughly, what, about 65,000 or so constituents in each statehouse uh, seat? Uh, Yeah, roughly. So let's let's begin to get granular. You reference uh, apartment and condo buildings. There's certainly townhouses. Well, we have row houses. We have a lot of row houses. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So before we plunge into how you're getting out the vote, what you're hearing at the doors, uh, tell folks a little more about yourself. Um, I think that would be a good place to start. Yeah, sure. I have been involved in sort of progressive politics in Philadelphia for the last 20 years or so. I started out my career as a newspaper reporter. I was I worked for the Philadelphia Daily News and I also worked for WHYY. I covered government and politics I went on to become, you know, a senior aide to a couple of well-known progressive elected officials. Probably the two that are the most relevant for this position is State Senator Vincent Hughes. I was his communications director for roughly four years. He's the chairman of the Appropriations Committee in the State Senate. I was in Harrisburg every session day for a good number of years. I had an apartment in Harrisburg, went back and forth. So I'm very familiar with sort of the grind of the state legislature and, of course, for people who don't know Senator Hughes, when I worked for him, he was you know the highest ranking uh, lawmaker from Philadelphia. He was the highest ranking African American lawmaker in the entire state. Um, he was, of course, later you know outpaced by Joanna McClinton. Um, but up until Joanna uh, became the leader, uh, uh, Senator Hughes was the highest ranking African American in the state legislature in terms of a leadership position. And so I worked for him for roughly four years. I left uh, the Senate and went to work on the campaign of uh, District Attorney Larry Krasner. This was in 2017 when he ran for the first time. So I was the spokesperson or I did a lot of communications work for him for the campaign. I ran the communications side of the transition. And then I went into the office for the first roughly two years of the Krasner administration. So uh, now I own a PR firm located in the district in Center City. We work with elected, progressive elected officials, labor unions, nonprofits, and uh, some progressive uh, business owners. Let me ask you, I mean, the last 20 years, there's been so many changes in Philadelphia and certainly in Center City. But give just reflect on that. I mean, even just frankly, the last five years uh, in, in this district, uh, but the city as a whole. Yeah, I think Philadelphia is really going through, you know, a renaissance that that has not been seen in a really long time, despite everything with the pandemic, which obviously there's challenges everywhere in the country and every city in the country. Philadelphia seems to be coming out of that okay, and we seem to be holding together, you know, our downtown core, and and there's a lot of uh, economic activity and just signs that the city is coming back to life. But, you know, people are moving back into Philadelphia. They're moving back into Philadelphia from the suburbs. They're moving back into Philadelphia from other parts of the country. Philly has been growing. I mean, it's been growing steadily for the past 10 years. We just didn't know officially until we got the census numbers back. But certainly as Philadelphia has has grown in size, the neighborhoods in Center City have been direct benefits of that population shift. 
I think that what you see, what you see in this district is it is a district that at one time was sort of an outlier, right? It was, a, it was an urban district. It was racially, you know, it was diverse in many ways, including, you know, the type of people, like I said, the strong Jewish community, it was just sort of like not actually what Pennsylvania was, but Pennsylvania is changing <laughs> and it is becoming more urban. It was becoming more diverse. It is becoming more educated, more technologically sophisticated. And so I think that, you know, when we talk about changes in the state and you know, the positive things that are going on in Philadelphia right now, my district is really a great example of that. So I really appreciate the background. Give folks a sense. Uh, I mean, did the light bulb just kind of go off and you and your wife said, hey, you know what, we're going to make the plunge. I've worked with elected officials, but now my name's going to be on the ballot. Or was it kind of a slow and steady uh, thinking about this? No, well, I ran in 2016. So in 2016, you know, Brian Sims announced that he was going to run for Congress. And I just sort of assumed that if he was running for Congress, he was not going to run for the state house again. And so me and a number of other people got into the race to replace him, similar in a lot of ways to what's happening now. He was running for something else and, you know, and, and people assumed that he wouldn't run for reelection. The only problem was he decided at the very last minute not to run for Congress and instead to only file for the state house. And uh, it was a tough decision to stay in because I really had not intended at that point to really run against him or, or anything like that. It was more of like an open seat. But at that point, I had taken a leave of absence and, and I raised a bunch of money and I was, you know, had some great endorsements like from the teachers union and from some of the wards. So, you know, decided to press on and, and actually came within 100 votes of, of beating Brian, which I think surprised a lot of people. That was back in 2016. I mean, it was a multiple people in the race. He had way more money than I did, like way more money than I did. I never criticized him publicly. I never, you know, gave voters a really strong reason to vote against him. And still I came within a few hundred votes of, of beating him. So we feel like this time around without an incumbent in the race, that we're in a much stronger position because of that. It's very difficult to run against an incumbent, as, as I'm sure listeners know. So, you know, I didn't, I, it was clear to me that the only reason way that I was going to be able to win if I was going to run again and I was going to have to run against Brian was I was going to have to go negative on him, that I was going to have to attack him for this thing or that thing or whatever. And the reality is any political consultant can come up with a reason to attack your opponent. It's what they do professionally. You know, they can, they can come up with plenty of things. It was just not something I really felt comfortable doing. I didn't really want to. I, I the pressure to to criticize him and attack him when I ran in 2016, uh, it wasn't something I was really interested in or found to be particularly like rewarding. I mean, whatever my differences might have been with him or at the time, you, you know, about whatever, he still was someone who was going to Harrisburg and voting the way that I was going to vote, right? And so I never really thought to myself, you know, you really need to go uh, run again or, or anything like that. And it wasn't until he decided that he announced that he would not be running for re-election that I thought, okay, well, this is the time to get in. You know, so those are really the considerations of of, of going again. And, you know, again, I could have run any time between 2016 and now, but I really didn't. I like running in the current environment that I'm running in because we're not really running against each other. Every candidate gets to make their own case. And if you're talking about the other candidates and you're running in an open race, you're kind of doing it wrong. Does that make sense? Like you should be talking about yourself and you should be, you know, doing your work and your organizing. So that that's how I see that race in 16, but also sort of now as well. What's been the biggest surprise? You're out there putting in, I assume, 12, 15 hour days. You're talking to uh, all these diverse uh, potential uh, future constituents. I and mean, what's been the biggest surprise is you've been on the campaign trail for several months now and we're just within days of, uh, of this primary. Yeah, I mean, I think days of the voting starting for sure. This is going to sound like a cop out, but I have to say that, like everybody else, 
you know, I've been feeling a little cranky as a result of this pandemic. I mean, we're all stuck at our kitchen tables. I mean, it's just last year, what a terrible time to be alive, you know, for all of us. <laughs> right. And, and so going door to door, you kind of expect people to be cranky like that and, and, and be anti-government. You know, you just kind of, people don't want to talk to you. They want to, you know, close the door in your face. You know, that, that was really what I expected. And there was an L, uh, for me, like a psychological challenge in the beginning to getting going and knocking on me. We've been knocking doors since February, but it was hard to get going in the beginning, you know? And so what the thing that has surprised me is that's not how people are at all, despite all of the challenges of the past couple of years, at least people in the district where I'm running and people in Philadelphia, they feel pretty good about their city. They feel pretty good about their neighbors. There's lots of interest in people who are running for office. I have been thanked more times than I've had, you know, thank you for running. Thank you for doing this way more than I've had doors slammed in my face. I actually can't think of a single door that's been slammed in my face. I mean, sometimes you get people and they're in the middle of a Zoom call, but they, they'll take still take your literature and smile and talk to you for a second at the door. So, yeah, I, I guess I, because we all have been through a lot, all of us over the past couple of years, I guess I kind of wanted to see, you know, where, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. And I guess I've been, been positive about, you know where it's gone. So, look if uh, if our listeners are sitting, let's say in Malvern or Doylestown, uh, you know it's a very very different type of state house campaign for the candidate, uh, for the volunteers, for the paid staff, and that's just you know thirty five miles uh, outside the city. So you alluded to the buildings, you alluded to doors not being slammed in your face. I mean, as you're looking now at GOTV in such an aggressive way, but then also everything leading up with petitions. I mean, what, what's been kind of a typical week or has every week been totally uh, uh, different? When you're running for state house, it is a little bit different than some of these other bigger campaigns. First off, you know, the reality is most of the turnout that gets done in a race like this, especially in a district like mine, which is a high information, a lot of high information voters, people that are going to do their own research, like the Senate and the gubernatorial races really drive turnout, right? They have the big billion dollar budgets. They're the ones putting TV ads, you know, every day. They're the ones that are going to be, you know, really starting to, you know, contact voters. And so as much as you're your candidacy, you want to be when you're running for the state house in a primary, it's really persuasion the entire time. Right. Like because there's always going to be people who don't know who you are, who you need to talk to, because when you're running for state rep, I mean, the big thing that you, you learn running for office is nobody cares. Nobody lives in this crazy political bubble that we live in. I mean, people care. They care about the issues. They care about their neighborhood. They even care about you if you talk to them for a second. But no one is like sitting around pondering who they're going to vote for in the state representative race. They're going to make a decision right before they vote. They'll Google my name if they're doing a mail-in ballot, you know. So for me, I try to remember that all the time. And so we we just door knock, you know, we just we're just knocking doors and 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 raising money so that we can have a paid voter contact program and you know what's needed to uh, to reach voters but we have people in the buildings working the buildings for us we go door to door you know and it's really for a state rep race you're you're doing persuasion the whole time because there's always going to be people that you can talk to who you haven't talked to yet you're never you know you can get to every door but you know that's hard to do but but at the same time you know you have to be realistic there's always someone out there who hasn't made up their mind about how they're voting for state representative right until the moment they vote well, I think listeners would also be uh, intrigued. Um, you know, we're not asking uh, for you to share your preferences, but you know, voters are going to be going to the, uh, the the polls or doing early voting, also with an eye to the U.S. Senate race. So, yeah. as you're going around, you know, to the extent you're comfortable, uh, Ben, what are you, what are you hearing about that? Because 
that also, as you mentioned, uh, is very much dominating. I am hearing a lot about that race. People do talk about it. People don't really ask. Like when I ran in 2016, everybody would ask at the doors, Hillary or Bernie. It was like the first thing that they asked you. I don't, I was for Bernie, by the way. Um, (laughs) I don't find that in this race that people are immediately called, you know, they don't immediately ask about the Senate primary. If you're sitting there and you're talking to them, it takes a while for the Senate race to come up, right? I would say that my own sense is that John Fetterman certainly has the most name ID. He is certainly the most well-known of all the people running because he has held statewide office for a, a long time. He's also seen as sort of the progressive candidate, at least among people who are liberal and progressive. They view him as being, you know, in line with their values. I, I hear no talk about Connor Lamb at all. I do not think he's going to get do very well in my district. I don't think he's going to do very well in Philadelphia. Um, I just think nobody knows who he is. And then the person who me personally, you know, I'm supporting, I'm going to vote for is really just the person that I've known the longest, which is Malcolm Kenyatta. And it's not a knock on any of the other candidates. I think Fetterman's great. If Lamb was the nominee, I'd happily support him against whoever the Republicans, you know, wind up putting up. But on a personal level, I just know Malcolm since he was an activist, since he was an organizer, the kid with a bullhorn, you know, out in the streets. And I've just been really impressed with him and proud of him just in how he's kind of grown as an elected official and as a person. You know, a lot of people become kind of like scumbags after they get into elected office and Malcolm has like matured. You know what I mean? He's like grown. And like I've just watched it happen over the years. And so I'm really proud of him. And, I, you know, is he going to win? Is he going to lose? I don't know. But. I do know that he would be a great senator, and I don't have any problems saying that. Well, I, this is definitely a really unique perspective. I think listeners uh, certainly appreciate. So just to take a step back, get a little more granular, when you and your team are going to the doors, is this every single registered Democrat? Are you targeting just folks that have voted in the last four or four elections? I mean, how are you looking? Depends on what division we're in. If it's a division, okay. if I, I have a division that, that with one particular motivated committee person, she delivered my division 70% last time I ran because she has a lot of sway in her division. We're going to try and get a hundred percent turnout in that division. We're going to haul every person we can to the polls because, you know, those are people who are very, very likely to vote for me in a division where I didn't do as well. We don't have a base of support. We're going to look at likely voters, you know, but it really, really depends on, on where you are in the district and what your strategy is for winning the division. Okay, so once again, I don't want to assume that listeners uh, tuned into our conversation with Chairman Bob Brady or that they're from Philadelphia. So if you could just tease out, Ben, I apologize. Just what is the division? What is a committee woman? It's precincts for those of you who are not in Pennsylvania, but it's the it's the Pennsylvania version of precincts. And uh, it's just, yeah, I, I mean, my I have to look exactly, but my, you know, my district has, you know, probably rough, roughly, I would say 60 some divisions. Um, each one of those divisions is basically a couple of blocks. We have in my district some divisions that are only a part. Like we have one a humongous apartment complex that's actually two divisions in just really one building because they have they have six hundred people that you know units in the building. So which which one is that? I'm just I'm just curious. The William Penn House. Okay. Yeah. 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 And William Penn House is another one. Like for example, I got sixty percent of the vote. When I ran last time, because it was just I had a really strong committee person there who's still there. We're going to do as much as we can to juice turnout in that division and get people out. We have increasingly a lot of listeners in Manhattan, so they might think this is a stupid question. But how does one how does one get out the vote (laughs) in a nice building like that with a doorman? Well, you stand in the lobby and you talk to your neighbors. 
So for collecting signatures, the people that did the best for me were the people they got, they got 60 signatures in an hour just standing in their building lobby saying, hey, my friend Ben is running for state representative. Can you sign? It obviously helps to have someone in the building who's lived there a long time. You want someone who's on the condo board or, you know, somehow, you know, involved actually in the running of the building by the owners. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's just work. It's not anything special. You stand in the lobby and you say, Hey, Ben Waxman, you know, is running for state representative or, 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 you know, or sometimes I'll stand in the lobby with the person, you know? I just need to say, when you said that, uh, that expression, my friend, Ben, Senator Ben Cardin, the senior Senator to our South and, uh, Maryland, that his, his campaign tagline for 30 plus years of running is my friend, Ben. I don't, I'm not well known enough for that. I tried to. I tried to, I, my campaign staff wanted to do part of our mail campaign all about, you know, Ben, Ben's, you know, this. And I'm like, no, nobody knows. Like, you know, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Maybe after 30 years, I can have that tagline. Perhaps one day, perhaps one yeah, day. Exactly. Okay. So Not then, the first election. <laughs> you've been super generous with your time. Let's rewind it down, uh, my friend, Ben. So what are folks saying? I mean, when they're, they're not grilling you on Bernie versus Hillary, what, what's on their mind? I mean, there, there's certainly questions about crime, but like, what, what are the issues? I think that in Philly, like definitely people are concerned about public safety. I think in every, everyone everywhere is kind of concerned about public safety right now. There's this tremendous buildup of just social tension that's occurred because of the pandemic. It's clearly influencing people and some people are just acting crazy. I don't know how else to put it. Like, I mean, in, you know, in Philly, there's just some people that the, the, the pandemic and the stress and everything that happened over the last couple of years seems to be causing some people to snap. Right. And we have seemingly a higher level of, issues involving, you know, mental health and people who are having literally just mental breakdowns on the street. I mean, we have people sleeping on the street at a level that is unacceptable. We have people who are clearly dealing with substance abuse issues and and things like that. It's impacting the quality of life in Philadelphia. But I would say when I go to door, remember, this is the most liberal district in the state. No one is like, I want the cops to come and break heads. I want, you know, everybody locked up. Like, we're so beyond that conversation in Philadelphia. Like, we would like it if the suburban voters could stop freaking out about what they see on the news and try to decide like what's right for us and how we want to approach these situations. I think that's my biggest, not to just take an unprovoked shot, but Bill McSwain, like, shut up. Nobody cares. Like you're not from here. You don't live here. And you have all these opinions about what our DA should or shouldn't do. And like, sorry, but the people of Philadelphia don't buy this nonsense. We're the ones living through what is happening in the city right now with public safety. We're the ones trying to address it. And you have these politicians that get all whipped up about, you know, what's on the evening news every night. Because if you just watch the news sometimes, especially, you know, some of this TV news, you would think that the only thing happens in Philadelphia is people are shot and people are killed. And sometimes politicians go on trial for corruption. And other than that, that's the only thing that happens in the city of Philadelphia. Now, that's not totally true. And I don't want to be, you know, harsh on my some of my journalist friends who do to show that side of Philadelphia and that there's a lot more going on in the city than just, you know, murders and, uh, you know, blaming people for them. I mean, we, we have serious public safety challenges in the city. We want to address them. People are pretty unified about how they think things should be addressed and what the right path is. But we just need like, you know, all these suburban Republicans to stop trying to, you know, meddle in our affairs. And I think that's something that anybody who's going to go to the state house, you know, from my district or from Philly in general is like, just let us, do just let us live like stop trying to like impeach our elected officials because you don't agree with their views you know 
For better or worse, I think it's fairly certain in the final 90 days of the general election, if not sooner, the airwaves are going to be dominated uh, in media markets hundreds of miles away from Philadelphia about these themes. So what what advice, Ben, I mean, would you give to whoever the Democratic Senate nominee is if uh, you're ready to be so bold to the Shapiro uh, uh, gubernatorial campaign? The, the question is crime, public safety issues. The other side is definitely going to manipulate these. They're going to be talking about these morning, noon and night in, um, in the general election. I mean, how, how did Democrats talk about this? How did Democrats counter this? Yeah, I mean, one, I think we have to make sure that we're dealing with facts and that we don't just allow them, like, especially if it's McSwain or somebody else to try to like, just cherry pick cases and cherry pick, like, yeah, terrible things happen every day in the world. You know what I mean? Like, like, there are probably some terrible things that are going to happen tonight in Philadelphia. I'm not saying we shouldn't address them. I'm not sure we saying that people should be held accountable or that we shouldn't provide, you know, safety. But for me, it's about collaboration, right? So I work for a city councilwoman who's supporting me uh, in my run named Maria Kiana Sanchez. She represents some of the roughest parts of North Philly. She represents Kensington uh, and above as well as other neighborhoods. And, you know, I was involved with helping her around an issue where we had uh, a gunman who was sticking up. Uh, immigrant store owners, and in particular, targeting store owners that didn't speak English, right? Anyway, we got, like, she was really, she got the community and law enforcement and the elected officials in the area and everybody to work together and figure out what was going on. They identified the person who had done it, arrested them, you know, took them off the street to, you know, to protect people. That is what public safety looks like. It's not finger pointing and blaming and especially blaming public officials for like something that somebody else, like people who shoot other people are responsible for homicide. Right. And like, yeah, there has to be a discussion about responding and what policies work and what policies don't, but this really bad faith nonsense where you just say that like, you know, you, you know, the DA or whoever is just, you know, letting people out. I mean, it's just nonsense. And so we have to engage with fact and we can't meet them to debate them on their terms because their terms are nonsense. Okay, so then last question. Uh, once again, really appreciate the time and the closing days of the campaign. You know, I mean, look, there's a lot of talk uh, in Washington and elsewhere that Democrats are demoralized, that turnout in November is not going to be where it's at, as, as you've said. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah, so, okay, I was afraid you might say that. So, I mean, what, if anything, can be done from May 18th when there's going to have to be a lot of party unity and healing after these primaries all the way through the first week of November? I don't see the primaries as being particularly bitter. That's the first thing. I mean, at least the Senate primary, Josh doesn't have a gubernatorial challenger. So like, even though there's been some back and forth between the candidates, most of it's pretty normal stuff and within the realm of responsible, like responsible political discourse. Me personally, I'm not going to attack people aggressively. That's not really my thing. But I do think the Senate candidates, like they're not, the debate isn't toxic. It's not like they're accusing each other of being child molesters or whatever. Like it's just normal stuff. The stuff on you know, on Fetterman with the shotgun, you know, everyone knows about that or political people have known about that for a long time. It doesn't seem to really be damaging him in terms of, you know, the primary voters. So I think people should come together pretty quickly. I don't think that's going to be a big issue. I do think there is an issue with people being demoralized and the Democratic, you know, it's just, and it's not some, I don't know. I don't know why we treat this stuff as though it weren't completely predictable. After you take the presidential election, you tend to sit out the next midterm election because you're not as concerned. When you're the party you don't like takes over the presidency, then you get a lot of. Ex- I mean, we, it's the same thing over and over again. It happened to George Bush. It happened to Barack Obama. It happened to Trump, and now it's going to happen to Biden. And we tend to, in politics, take these moments that are, you know, pretty predictable, <laughs> you know, and pretend as though there's some great signifier of some. Bah, bah, bah. It's like no, 
Like it's just that when you are in power in the White House, you, your base doesn't show up and you lose the midterm election. That it happens with every president. And we, I'm not saying we shouldn't try to stop it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, do everything we can to keep people energized and that we could win. You know, we can if they if they nominate a crazy right wing person for governor, Josh could certainly, you know, be able to put that together. We could still win the Senate race regardless of who they put up. But at the same time, like there's a historical pattern for these things and we don't have to make it into like, it's the left's fault. It's the moderate's fault. It's the, this it's, it's because we didn't have enough, you know, music stars showing up in stadium. It's like, no, it's cause it's a cycle and we're in this part of the cycle, you know? And, and if Democrats or Republicans had the answer for how to juice turnout in an off year election, when your party controls the white house, both sides would have shown that by now and nobody does. So, you know, you just, it's about you know dealing with the world as it is and and not as you wish it would be. Well, Ben, I really appreciate your time and the the closing days. I think this is sage advice for um, all of our listeners uh, because you can't win statewide in Pennsylvania without a, a super strong turnout in your district and the city of Philadelphia. So, thank you so much. Okay, well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Thank you for tuning in to a special episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Please join us for future episodes by subscribing, and while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We love listener feedback, so drop us a note via our website, papoliticspodcast.org. And a very special thanks to Jake Schwartz for all his production assistance. I'm Ari Middleman, and this is Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics.